Hello, welcome to the Find Your Calm podcast. I'm Noelle C. Guevara, a pastor, educator, and writer learning to navigate faith and family and being a person in this chaotic life. Here in season two, we're doing a deep dive into some of the ways that life can be anxiety-inducing and what it looks like to find your calm in the midst of it all. Today's episode is a holiday special. With Christmas quickly approaching, there's a lot to be anxious about, so today we'll be unpacking a few ways you can find your calm, even here in the midst of the holiday chaos. Here's the truth. I don't know how to avoid chaos or how to prevent the anxiety that chaos inevitably causes, but I have had more than a little practice in finding my calm when life beckons anxiety instead. If you're looking for a space to take a deep breath, steady yourself, and discern what you need to move forward, you're right where you belong. Listen in for a few simple tips to find your calm and take your next faithful steps forward. For the first decade or so of our marriage, Matt and I would have a yearly fight right around the holidays. From Thanksgiving to December, he worked more hours than usual as a pastor, and I was left to manage a lot of the holiday magic and chaos. The shopping and decorating, the preschool parties and special events, the cookie baking and gift wrapping, you get the idea. By the time we burned through all of the Christmas Eve services, we were both exhausted. Add in the expectations of family get-togethers and celebrations, which often crowded the calendar and, heaven forbid, overlapped, and we had a recipe for a showdown. As parents, we often find ourselves collapsing into December 25th, wondering whatever happened to peace on earth. Let me be really clear, though. I love Christmas. Experiencing the wonder of it all through the eyes of my kids is the highlight of my year. We have nearly two decades of magical memories as a family that overshadow the stress that inevitably spills over at times, but that stress did spill over more often in those early years. Over time, I've grown and learned a lot and am far more adept at managing the holiday chaos at this point in my life. Even in the last couple of years, I feel like we found some simple but really transformative ways to manage the chaos so we can be more present and enjoy the season. So if you're feeling the anxiety or stress building as you're counting down to Christmas, listen in for a few faithful steps to find your calm through the holidays. Start by managing your expectations. I am the queen of high expectations, for myself especially. The way this plays out is that I mentally create a to-do list that's far more extensive than my calendar or capacity can meet. I also set the bar too high at times for my family expecting too much of my husband or not communicating my expectations and having unrealistic expectations for my kids, especially around their attitudes. I can Hallmark commercialize our Christmas in my head. And here's the deal, you guys. My family is not a paid crew of actors. They are actual humans with long days of work or school, friend drama, rude clients, pop quizzes, and gross hot lunch days. So here's what I am learning. I can manage my expectations in three ways. First, by lowering the bar. Whatever I'm dreaming up in my head, I just take it down a notch or two. We will go to that Christmas party, but I will anticipate an attitude on the way out the door. The tree will get decorated, but probably a week or two later than my first plan envisioned. That literally happened this year. 
When I lower the bar, my expectations are usually just plain realistic and I'm free to celebrate a win where I would have pouted over a loss. Second, I also manage my expectations by communicating them and reading the room. My brain moves pretty fast and I often forget that my family is not a troop of mind readers. When I communicate my expectations, they often rally. And when I read the room, I can tell if a rally isn't in the cards and adjust my expectations accordingly. And finally, once I've made sure my expectations are realistic and invited my family on board, I make a plan. Oftentimes in the past, I had a list of things I expected us to do or experience over the holidays, but I didn't bother to make a plan, so they just didn't happen. Baking sugar cookies is a realistic expectation, and my family is quick to join in the fun. But if I don't plan a day and gather the supplies, it won't happen. Some things are a perfect match for spontaneity, but others require a plan. And I've learned to manage my expectations by simply planning to meet them. I'm going to pivot from here and talk about those expectations we simply can't manage. The desires we have that we can't plan for, that we struggle to let go of, that are cycles of disappointments. There were years we faced unexpected loss around Christmas. Other years we've had emergencies that derailed our plans. There are relationships that force us to hold heartbreak and hope and tension. We can't always manage these feelings by simply making a plan or lowering the bar. Sometimes the holidays can be a spotlight on the unmet expectations that are equal parts elusive and desperately longed for. In the years I've struggled with these kinds of unmet expectations during the holidays, I've had to be relentlessly kind to myself and my people. This is a time to name that if giving your all feels like half of what it used to be, it is still giving your all, and no one can give more than that. Find simpler, gentler ways of honoring the season. More movie nights and less outings. More rest and less hustle. Be present when you can and be gracious when you can't. Give what you can, and give grace to yourself when you have nothing left to give. In these seasons, I've heaped pressure on myself to put on Christmas as usual so my kids don't miss out. But the things our kids need most is us, and they need us to show them what it looks like to celebrate within our limits. Limits can be hard, both to bump up against and to communicate, And I found that kids are better at understanding limits than adults, which brings me to my last lesson learned about finding calm through the holidays. Name and manage expectations around extended family. Start with your own expectations. Oftentimes we head into the holidays hoping the dysfunction in our families will magically disappear. We buy gifts and plan parties, and we think maybe this year we'll avoid the politics, the awkward questions, the scrutiny of our parenting or our partners or careers, the reminders of trauma, the passive-aggressive comments. But if these things are ruts in the family road, you'll likely find yourself spinning your wheels in them again. So go back to square one. Manage your expectations. Name the reality that you might experience disappointment hurt, or anger. Decide ahead of time how you'll manage those feelings. If you can, communicate your expectations in the form of boundaries with your family. But if you can't, communicate them with your kids or your partner as needed, or just put them in writing for yourself. 
Once you've considered your own expectations for your family, clarify their expectations of you. A lot of unmet expectations are a casualty of unclear communication. Speak to your extended family about what they are hoping for, then decide what is doable for you and your family. If you have a partner or kids, make those decisions together so you're on the same page. If your limits, whether they're set by a calendar or just your own capacity, are disappointing to someone else, it's really important to recognize that someone else's disappointment is not yours to manage. When we start taking on the feelings of others, somehow making it our responsibility to help another grown person handle their feelings, that is a recipe for dysfunction. Actually, I think it's the definition of dysfunction. Your mother-in-law or your dad or your big sister or whomever is a grown-up human being. They can handle disappointment and have a host of tools available to help them manage their unmet expectations. You are responsible for your feelings and your behavior only. Now, that's not a license to be careless or selfish, but it is permission for you to kindly set a boundary, then walk away without feeling responsible for how that boundary was received. And the same is true in reverse. If someone is kind and clearly communicates a boundary and that boundary feels disappointing to you, you will need to process and use tools at your disposal to manage your disappointment. Feel all the feelings, explore and honor them, and do the work to heal as needed. This is the part where I tell you therapy is a godsend, and if you don't already have a therapist, get yourself one for Christmas. I'm going to put my pastor hat on now and remind you what Christmas is really all about. It's the story of a people walking in darkness who saw a great light. It's the story of a promise that was fulfilled in the most unlikely of ways through the most unlikely people in the most unlikely place. It's the story of a girl whose expectations were interrupted by an angel with good news she received with open hands. It's the story of a child born to us, a hope given to us, a story told through us. Christmas is a story, and the invitation is to listen to the story, to explore it with curiosity, to share it with generosity. Today I'll close with a practice of storytelling. I'm going to read some of the Christmas story from one of my favorite storybooks. It's the Jesus Storybook Bible, and yes, it's for kids, but all the best stories are written for children, in my humble opinion. If you're a parent or grandparent with kids, invite them into this practice with you. You could play it in the car on the way to school, at the dinner table, or maybe at bedtime. So here's what I want you to do. Find your inner child. Listen to the story with the same wonder your six-year-old self exuded. Close your eyes if you can and engage your imagination. What sights, smells, and sounds can you bring to the story? Now Mary and Joseph had to take a trip to Bethlehem, the town King David was from. But when they reached the little town, they found every room was full, every bed was taken. Go away, the innkeepers told them. There isn't any place for you. Where would they stay? Soon Mary's baby would come. They couldn't find anywhere except an old tumble-down stable. So they stayed where the cows and the donkeys and the horses stayed. And there in the stable, among the chickens and the donkeys and the cows, in the quiet of the night, 
God gave the world his wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born, his baby son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used the animal's feeding trough as his cradle. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us. Because, of course, he had. That same night, in amongst the other stars, suddenly a bright new star appeared. Of all the stars in the dark vaulted heavens, this one shone clearer. It blazed in the night and made the other stars look pale beside it. God put it there the night his baby son was born, to be like a spotlight shining on him, lighting up the darkness, showing people the way to him. You see, God was like a new daddy. He couldn't keep the good news to himself. He'd been waiting all these long years for this moment, and now he wanted to tell everyone. So he pulled out all the stops. He'd sent an angel to tell Mary the good news. He'd put a special star in the sky to show where his boy was. And now he was going to send a big choir of angels to sing his happy song to the world. He's here. He's come. Go and see him, my little boy. Now, where would you send your splendid choir? To a big concert hall, maybe? Or a palace, perhaps? God sent his to a little hillside outside a little town in the middle of the night. He sent all those angels to sing for a raggedy old bunch of shepherds watching their sheep outside Bethlehem. In those days, remember, people used to laugh at shepherds and say they were smelly and call them other rude names, which I cannot possibly mention here. You see, people thought shepherds were nobodies, just scruffy riffraff. But... God must have thought shepherds were very important indeed, because they're the ones he chose to tell the good news to first. That night, some shepherds were out in the open fields warming themselves by a campfire when suddenly the sheep darted. They were frightened by something. The olive trees rustled. What was that? A wing beating? They turned around. Standing in front of them was a huge warrior of light blazing in the darkness. Don't be afraid of me, the bright shining man said. I haven't come to hurt you. I've come to bring you happy news for everyone, everywhere. Today, in David's town, in Bethlehem, God's son has been born. You can go and see him. He is sleeping in a manger. Behind the angel, they saw a strange glowing cloud, except it wasn't a cloud. It was angels, troops and troops of angels armed with light. And they were singing a beautiful song, glory to God, to God be fame and honor and all our hoorays. Then as quickly as they appeared, the angels left. The shepherds stamped out their fire, left their sheep, raced down the grassy hill, through the gates of Bethlehem, down the narrow cobbled streets, through a courtyard, down some step, step, steps, past an inn, round a corner, through a hedge, until at last they reached a tumble-down stable. They caught their breath, then quietly they tiptoed inside. They knelt on the dirt floor. They had heard about this promised child, and now he was here. Heaven's son, the maker of stars, a baby sleeping in his mother's arms. This baby would be like that bright star shining in the sky that night, 
a light to light up the whole world, chasing away darkness, helping people to see. And the darker the night got, the brighter the star would shine. I hope this practice of hearing the greatest story ever told has centered you in the midst of Christmas chaos. Whenever you feel yourself drifting away from what really matters this season, I'd encourage you to return to this story, read, or share, or wonder at the story. Thank you for joining us today for Season 2, Episode 4 of the Find Your Calm Podcast. I hope you were able to unburden yourself to get your bearings, find your focus, and begin to enjoy or at least truly experience that life that is within and around you. Life is chaotic. We know this to be true. But even in the midst of chaos, you can find your calm and take your next faithful steps forward. As always, you can connect with me on Instagram as Noelle C. Guevara. I would also love it if you would like or share or review the podcast. It's had over 750 downloads at that point, which is so fun, but it's still a little baby project and I would love to get it out into the world. So if you found this episode or this podcast to be helpful and could give it a boost in one of those ways, I would really appreciate it. Until next time, I'm Noelle C. Kavara, and I'm so grateful to be your host and guide as we navigate the chaos of life together.